0: Well, join me in your Bibles, John 17. John 17, we have been in this chapter for a few months now. It is a big day. We bring this chapter to a conclusion this morning. John 17, as we are finalizing our look at Jesus's high priestly prayer for his people. Looking at verses 24 through 26, John 17 verses 24 through 26. And before I read the text, I think it is true to say that if you really want to know the heart of someone, it is by listening to their prayers. Because it is in prayer that we offer our deepest concerns to our God. It's in prayer that we say what we truly care about, and that is true for Jesus here in this prayer, especially in these last two requests, as Jesus reveals his love for his people. As so we will see, it is a love for us that will last into eternity. As Jesus will pray for our glorification, that we would be with him forever. And it's also a love that we experience in the here and now as Jesus will pray for our continued sanctification. Let's read these final two prayers set in our minds, start in verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory which you have given me for you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them, and will make it known, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in you. Them And with that, Jesus' high priestly prayer comes to a conclusion. I'm thankful for the many comments I've received throughout this series, comments emphasizing the hope that you have found in Jesus' prayers for you. The comfort you have said you cling to, knowing that the eternal Son, who has never denied his request by his Father, always lives to make intercession for you the assurance, the godly confidence, you have experience knowing that Christ always prays what is best for his people. And that is the application to draw from this prayer. There's to be a hope, a comfort, a confidence. And we see that as we see the request that Jesus has offered to his father. Amazing, staggering. Remember, request number one. Jesus prays for the eternal protection of his people, for us. He prays for our eternal protection. Why do you remain faithful to your Savior? Why will you never lose your salvation? Why will Satan never reclaim you back into his kingdom? Why? Because Jesus has prayed, verse 11, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And he has prayed, verse 15, keep them from the evil one. Protect their faith. Our eternal life is guarded by nothing less than the name and the power and the person of God. It's an eternal security that led into request number two that Jesus prayed for us. Request number two, Jesus prays for our evangelistic mission in the world. He prays for our evangelistic mission in the world because nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Because our faith is shielded by the power of God, Christ sends us into a world that is hostile to God. That's verse 17. Sanctify them, dedicate them in the truth, to your gospel, Father. Why, because of verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For what purpose? To proclaim the cross of Christ and to testify to the truth of Jesus. To call men and women to repent from their sin and find salvation through faith alone in Christ alone. That's our calling. That's this prayer. So connect the two, Christ prays for our eternal security so that we would not be taken out of the world, so that we would not circle our Christian wagons in fear, but he prays for our eternal security so that we can storm the gates of Satan in this world with the only message that saves the sinner from his sins. It led into a third request, and this request, as we saw last time, seals these first two requests. Request number three: Jesus prays for our unity. Jesus prays for our unity, specifically our unity within the Trinity and our unity with one another. Each being essential to the Christian life. Our unity with the Trinity sealing our eternal security. Notice verse 21, the prayer for a union with the Godhead described as this. You, Father, are in me, and I in you. It's the interlocking of the Father and the Son. And then you have this most amazing statement, that they, us, all believers, may be in us interlocked within the Trinity. It's a staggering prayer. Each member of the Trinity is interlocked within themselves and now we're brought into that relationship. He's praying for a union that is as unbreakable and as eternal as the father is with his son and the son is with his father the seals, the permanence of our faith. Seals the eternality of our salvation. Just as the son can never be separated from his father, so too Jesus prays that we would never be separated from the Godhead. That's the prayer, sealing our faith. It's a prayer for an invisible, eternal union with God himself that then leads into Jesus's prayer for a visible unity, a relational unity right now with one another. Notice the end of verse 21. So that, this unity invisible now leads to visible, so that the world may believe, so that the world may see our unity. We must believe that you sent me, verse 23, a visible unity. We must strive to perfect. We must grow in and deepen unity that's attacked on all sides. That's why Jesus prays in verse 23 again that they may be perfected in unity. Grow in unity. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me And we spent our time unpacking that last time. This is a language of, of love amongst one another. Again, why? It's so that the world may see this unity is the greatest apologetic to the truthfulness of the gospel. Our love for one another is what causes this hostile world to pause. It's hatred against Christ and us and the gospel. Our love for one another that gives an ear to our gospel. Again, if you want to know the heart of Jesus, listen to his prayer here. His love for you is eternal, his love for his Father's glory is paramount. That's why he sends us into the world and his grace for us is unmatched. He interlocks us within the Godhead. It is astounding. It leads to these final two prayers Jesus offers for us. Pick it up in verse 24. Here's request number four. Request number four, Jesus also prays for our entrance into his presence. He prays, for our entrance into his presence, that the spiritual unity we enjoy with the Trinity now would actually get better. Start in verse 24. Father, I desire and notice, this is not actually a request Jesus offers. This is a declaration. He's voicing the longing, the will of his heart And what is Jesus's desire? Continue that they also whom you have given me. He's praying specific for those chosen from before the foundation of the world. Those whom the spirit has given life through the proclamation of the gospel. Note here that word whom. Whom you have given me. We're gonna go back to English class if you don't mind. Fourth grade English. Right, This is in the singular. You know what that is, right? It's just one. It's one whom. It's in the singular. And what does that matter? Well, Jesus is speaking not so much of individual believers here. No, he's speaking of one group of believers. We're all in this prayer together, one group. Which means this, for the Father to answer this prayer, for the Father to answer this prayer, it is an all or nothing It's an either or. The father will either do this for all of his children or he will do it for none of his children. We are one group of believers that Jesus prays for here. We're all in this prayer together. And what is Jesus' request that every single believer would be? Continue verse 24. Be with me where I am you find comfort in that? Father, finish what you started. Finish what you started from before the foundation of the world. Just as you chose your people, I now ask you, glorify them. Welcome them into your presence, into your heaven. And as we have seen throughout this prayer, Jesus is simply turning promises that he has previously made for his people, turning those promises into this prayer. He's not twisting the Father's arm to do this. These are promises made for us. Think of John 12. Jesus promised for all those who follow him as a way of life, who show the reality of their faith through loving obedience. He promised this, where I am, same words in John 17. Where I am, there my servant will be. It's a promise and now it's a prayer. Think of John 14, three. Jesus promised, I will come again and receive you to myself. Why? That where I am, same words, where I am, there you may also be. Romans 8, Paul builds upon this prayer and these promises, and he says this, we will be glorified with him. It's a certainty. Why is it a certainty from Paul? It's a certainty because that's what Christ prays. Or 2 Timothy 2, we're promised, if we died with him, if we died to ourselves in repentance and faith, we will also live with him. We'll be in his presence, Again, 1 Thessalonians, we shall always be with the Lord. We shall always be with the Lord. Being with Christ, being in his presence is what makes heaven heaven. It's not the streets of gold. It'll be neat, but it's not the streets of gold. What makes heaven heaven is that we are with our Savior. We are in his satisfying presence, So here's the transition from verses 20 through 23 into verse 24. In 20 through 23, Jesus says and prays for us to be interlocked spiritually within the Trinity. And now he prays for an eternal, physical fellowship with him in his presence. Forever. Now note the reason. Note the reason why Jesus desires us to be with him. It is not because our presence fills Jesus with something that he lacks. It's not the reason. Now Jesus prays for our entrance into heaven because of something we lack, because of something we need. Finish the verse. So that they may see Present tense, so that they will continually behold forever my glory. That's what's in store for us. It's not that Christ primarily wants to see us. It's that he primarily wants us to see him. And by seeing him experience the full manifestation of his glory, as much as we can as creatures still, He's praying that we would see what was veiled when he came from heaven to earth. Father, allow them to see my divine nature. Allow them to see my infinite beauty. Hebrews 1 calls it radiance, it's brightness. Allow all of my people to see what only three of the apostles were given a glimpse of, Mount of Transfiguration, When Jesus shone like the sun and his garments became as white as light, let my people see that. Let them see the holy splendor in bursting rays and gleaming lights. Notice the end of verse 24. It's kind of abstract, but there's some concreteness now. Notice this visible manifestation is a manifestation not just of light, but this is a manifestation of that inter Trinitarian love. Allow them to witness our love, experience our love fully. That's verse 24. Give me the glory, the glory. Why? For you loved me. This is the glory of love. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. Only Jesus can pray like this. And he's praying this for us. Jesus is praying that we would experience what he promised back in Matthew 5:8. blessed are the pure in heart. Why are we blessed? How are we blessed? We're blessed, how? Because we are allowed to what? See God. It's a literal promise. We will see God, we will see Christ. And so Jesus ends this prayer where he began it. Look at verse five. Jesus prays, Father, verse five, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was Restore restore to me my unveiled majesty, Father. But now in verse 24, Jesus says, I don't wanna keep that majesty and that glory to myself. I don't wanna keep it hidden I want my people to see my beauty. I want my people to experience my love, our love. I want them to be satisfied in us. Father, fulfill Psalm 1611, for all who come to me in saving faith. And you know that verse, in my presence is fullness of joy. Do that for them. In your right hand are pleasures forever. Mark Jones wrote this, Christ knows that his glory far exceeds the glories of anything this life can offer. Take that to heart. The sight of him is worth more than millions of worlds and will leave no person unsatisfied. And then this, I love the phrase, in this way, Christ exhibits a sense of holy excitement. Holy excitement in seeking and praying for the eternal happiness of his people. There's an excitement in this prayer. Let them see my glory. This is what theologians call the beatific vision. We see our Savior finally face to face. Finally. It's why we, we were created what we long for now, it's the sight of God that satisfies our soul. Jonathan Edwards describes that moment in this way. And just put yourself, again, future when this happens, Edwards writes, the pleasure of seeing God is so great and so strong that it takes the full possession of the heart. It fills it brimful so that there shall be no room for any sorrow, no room in any corner for anything of an adverse nature from joy. In your presence is fullness of joy. There is no darkness that can bear such powerful light. That's coming. Or a more contemporary pastor, to see Jesus in glory Will be the sight of God for which we have long ached. That's the prayer. As you work your way through the New Testament, you see that the Father answers this prayer in one of two ways. One of two ways. Either answers this prayer when we die by immediately transferring us into the presence of Christ. Think of 2 Corinthians 5. To be absent from the body is what? To be at home, in the presence of, with our Lord. The moment of our death, that happens. Why? The Father answers Jesus' prayer. This is why our loss, when a believer dies, our loss is not, mark it, not heaven's gain. Our loss here is the believer's gain. The believer's gain. Again, that's what Paul said. To depart and be with Christ is very, not just better, it's very much better. Departed saints, one commentator writes, departed saints in this life are not at a loss compared to us. No, they are actually living and having the added advantage over living saints and the fact that they have seen Christ's glory Already. That's why Paul could even mock death. It's pretty bold, isn't it? To mock death. Now, what does he say? Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Application, death holds no sting. Why? Because Christ prays for us. And that is how the Father has been answering Jesus' request ever since verse 24 was prayed. The moment of death, immediately we are in our Savior's presence. But at some point, at some point, the Father will answer Jesus' prayer in a different way. He will send his Son back to earth to receive us to himself. It's what Jesus promised, John 14. You remember, verse three, I will come again. I will come again and receive you to myself. That's coming. This is when the Lord, 1 Thessalonians, when the Lord himself clothed in all of his glory and beauty, when the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive, We will be caught up together, and so we shall always be with the Lord. It's Father's Day, so here's a Father's Day story. I read this to my daughters maybe 13 years ago, and they said, Dad, I want to fly to see Jesus. And I'm like, well, confess Jesus as Lord, honey, and you will, but that's our future. If the Lord comes back, that's our hope. First John puts it this way, beloved, now we are children of God. We enjoy that spiritual unity. Spiritual unity within the Father and the Son through the Spirit. But it has not yet appeared as what we will be. Thank the Lord for that. It has not yet appeared. No, there's a transformation coming. There's a glorification. And that will take place When Christ appears, we know that when he appears, when he returns, we will be like him. We will be like him. Our sinful flesh will be done away with, will be granted new bodies, freed from sin, just as he is. That's why the Bible ends the way it does. The resurrected Christ makes this promise. There will no longer be any curse. All sin is done away with. And his bondservants will what? Will see his face. And we will be changed. The glory that no man could ever see and continue to live now becomes the sole satisfying glory we will behold Forever. That is this fourth request. He's praying us into heaven. Christ is praying for our transformation, our glorification. He's praying for an eternal satisfaction, an everlasting happiness that comes from being in his presence. And it's an all or nothing. It's all believers or no believers. This is Christ's prayer for us leads into request number five. Request number five, from praying for our future glory to now Jesus praying for our present sanctification. He prays for our present sanctification. Notice verse 25. Oh, righteous Father, Jesus says. Oh, righteous Father. It's such an important way for Jesus to begin this final request. He knows what's going to happen to him. He knows the evil coming. Even though the Father will sovereignly allow Satan the pinnacle of unrighteousness to attack Jesus on all sides, Jesus still affirms here his Father's righteous will through all of it. Even though sin will have its way with Jesus, very soon Jesus accuses his Father of no wrongdoing, even though the father has predestinated all of this evil to occur. The son is clinging to Psalm one forty five. The Lord is righteous in all his ways. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, even if that includes trials and heartaches and pains, that he determines for us, for even for his son. Jesus is resting assured that all of this is for our good. O oh, righteous Father. There's another connection, though, that we can make. Continue the verse here. O oh, righteous Father, although the world, the hostile world, the world that hates Christ, hates Christ's people, hates the gospel, although the world has not known you in a saving way, not known you, I have known you and these, the ones you've chosen, the ones I've been praying for, the ones interlocked with the Trinity, these have known that you sent me. And how do believers come to know the truth about Christ? How do believers believe, come to saving faith? Because of verse 26, I, Jesus says, I have made your name known to Them, Christ takes the initiative. We believe only because Christ has opened our eyes to see him in truth. So here's the connection. There is no unrighteousness in God. There is no unrighteousness in God when he chooses some unto salvation and chooses to pass over those who do not believe in judgment. He is still who? Righteous Father. There's no unrighteousness in God for electing some and making his name known only to them and not electing others. He is still righteous Father. It's exactly Paul's point in Romans 9. The Father elects and Paul knows what the argument is going to be well, there must be some fall in God then. What does Paul say? What shall we say then? There is no injustice. There is no unrighteousness with God. Is there? May it never be. Even in his election, he's still a righteous father. He has mercy whom, on whom he has mercy. He has compassion on whom he has compassion. But now notice... What Jesus adds in verse 26. He says, I have made your name known to them. I've taken the initiative. I've sent my spirit to open the eyes. This is conversion. I've given them a new heart. I've filled that heart with faith to believe and repentance to turn from sin. I've taken the initiative. I've done what I said in verse six, I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. You chose them, Father, I showed myself to them. I opened their eyes. They were yours, you gave them to me. I saved them, I converted them. That's not where Jesus ends his prayer for us. He now prays for our continued sanctification. He prays that we would grow in holiness. He prays that we would deepen our knowledge of God. Continue verse 26. Jesus says, I will also, future tense, I will also make it, I will make your name, I will make your glory, your gospel. I will also make it known. That's in the future. I make it known in conversion. I will make it known in sanctification. Christ is praying that his people would understand the Father more and the Son more, the Spirit, the gospel more. And Jesus' prayer here not only includes the goal, our sanctification, growing in the image of Jesus, not only includes that goal, but understand what is involved here. Christ is praying for the means of our sanctification. praying for the father to bring the trials we need to show the father's love we need to see he's praying for the heartaches that will force us to rest on his sovereignty and his goodness and his wisdom even more than we do he's praying that when we ask the question why god anyone ever asked that question why god he's praying that we would be humbled in that that we would wait for the Lord to do what only he can do. All of that is wrapped up in Jesus's prayer to reveal more of the Father to us. That's what we need. In fact, that goes back to even the perfecting of unity. And again, Jesus is simply putting into prayer what has been promised before. Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. It's through heartache that I have become more obedient to you. That's the prayer. Or verse 71, the psalmist can pray. It is good for me that I was afflicted. Have we gotten to that point? Thank you, Father, for my affliction. Why does the psalmist say that? It is because only then do we learn your statutes. Jesus's prayer for our sanctification is why James one can tell us to consider it what? All joy, consider all joy my brethren when you encounter various trials, why? Because you know that the testing of your faith is producing sanctification, endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result. You'll be perfect, mature, complete. That's sanctification. We can cling to those promises because the father always answers his son's requests for his people, always. It's exactly what we see happen to the apostles. Their knowledge of the cross matured, didn't it? They grew. Their understanding of the resurrection deepens grasp of Christ's ascension and return, that grew, but it only grew, grew through affliction, only grew through heartache. In the same way, that is what Jesus is praying for all of us. Our faith matures, our knowledge grows, our worship deepens, our obedience progresses through the spirit using his word while also using the trials of life to open our eyes to see more of the glory of God that we need to see and thus mold us more into the image of God we need to be. Father always answers the son's request, but we can add there, the father doesn't always answer the son's request as we want him to. Now let's conclude what Jesus says. What is the most identifiable mark of the sanctified life? What is the most identifiable mark what is the most visible evidence that you are truly growing in your knowledge of God? Is it the Bible knowledge you have accumulated over the years? Is it your discernment and right doctrine? It's how is it how long you've been a Christian? The answer is no. Here's the answer according to Jesus. The answer is love. Love. Verse 26, I want to reveal more of the Father. I want them to grow in sanctification. Here's the reason. So that, so that the love with which you loved me may be in them. Love not only experienced by us from God, it's wrapped up there, but not only that kind of love, no, this is also a love that is to be shown through us, love that rules our lives, love that, dir- love that directs our decisions, love that influences our motives, love that controls our tongues, love for one another that reflects the Father's love for Christ. That's the model, that's the goal. a love that reflects the Son's love for us too. Notice the end of the verse, an I in them. That's the pinnacle of love. That Christ lives in us through the Spirit. The most identifiable mark of a Christian sanctification, their growth in knowing God is a life of love. A love for your brothers and sisters in Christ that reflects the Father's love for His Son and the Son's love for us. Now we know why the trials are necessary. Turn to 1 John. 1 John 4. No doubt, John is drawing off of Jesus' prayer. Notice what he writes in 1 John 4 and you will see the connection between these two passages. Verse seven, 1 John 4. Seven, John models this and says, beloved, I love you. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? Why? It's not just because Christ commanded us to do this, but this is what Christ prayed for us to do. Let us love one another, for love is from God. We've been changed by God, transformed by his love. We will love. And everyone who loves is born of God. We've been regenerated by the spirit. The spirit brings us into this relationship of love. It overflows to others. Born of God. And we know God. Now, the flip side is also true, though, verse eight. The one who does not love one another does not love, does not know God. This is the most identifiable mark of our salvation. It is our love for one another. Why? For God is love. If The spirit of God indwells us. We will model God. God is love. Again, that flip side, if our life is void of growing in a love for God's people, then the son of love does not indwell us. Verse nine, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live. Live how? A life of love through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. He loved us, his love indwells us. A love by which he sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice that would exhaust God's wrath. the Propitiation for our sins. All of that is love. So what's the conclusion then to all of this? Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, which he did, he elected us in love, he converted us in love, he forgives us in love, he prays for us in love. If God so loved us in all of those ways, we also ought to what? So love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, by love, we know that we abide in him and he in us. We know that God has taken up residence in us by our love because he has given us his spirit. See the connection. John is drawing off of Jesus' prayer. That is the perfection of love amongst the brethren. And that is what Jesus prays for as he concludes his prayer that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. It leads to the question Is the Spirit growing your love for one another? And ask yourself that. Is the Spirit growing your love for one another? Does your love reflect the Father's love for his Son and the Son's love for his people? So as we bring the chapter to a close, understand this prayer shows the heart of our Savior. It is a picture of his love for us It's a love that dates back to before the foundation of the world. It's a love that will continue into eternity future. It shows that inter-Trinitarian love that then spills over onto us. We see here in Christ a selfless love, a selfless love that thinks of us even as the darkness of evil begins to engulf him. We see an interceding love. An interceding love that leaves no part of our Christian life for granted. He prays for our conversion, our sanctification, our glorification. We see a faith defending love. Christ will not let Satan reclaim any of his children. And we see a love that literally prays us into his presence. Hebrews 7 is true. And we can cling to this promise every day. Our Savior is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Him. Question Why? Here's the answer since He always lives to make intercession for them. Father, we are thankful that our Savior lives. We are thankful that our Savior sits at your right hand and we are thankful that he prays for us by name now. Without that prayer, we would be lost. But he intercedes so that we would be indeed with you forever. Lord, I pray that we would take these prayers and not only offer you thanksgiving for them, we would take these prayers and put what it takes into practice. That we too would guard the faith. That we too would perfect the love amongst the brethren. That we too would put ourselves in the sphere that the Spirit uses for our sanctification. Let us give you thanks, but then turn this prayer into application in our lives. We pray all of this in Christ's name, amen.